this Father's Day, I've been led to reflect a little bit about my grandfather. Um, but before we can do that, we have to reflect a little bit about his lake. It's a lake on the western edge of South Carolina, about 20 miles north of Augusta, on the Savannah River. This lake has had a couple of different names in its day. When the, when the river was dammed in the 50s, they named it Clark's Hill Lake, after the town that was nearby, the town of Clark's Hill. But sometime in the 80s, the late 80s, somebody in Congress had a great idea and decided that Strom Thurmond needed one more thing named after him. And so they changed the name of the lake. Congress changed the name of the lake to Clark's, I mean, not to Clark's Hill. They changed the name to, to Strom Thurmond Lake or Lake Thurmond. Now, this lake, being on the border, was half in South Carolina and half in Georgia. And needless to say, there were a few folks in Georgia who were not particularly pleased with this. And so Georgia, they decided they weren't going to have any of that. And the Georgia legislature passed a law saying that in Georgia, that lake was Clark's Hill and not Lake Thurmond. All this is to say, well, I guess two things. One, um, I'm not sure what they're doing in Congress. (laughs) They must have had some free time in the mid-'80s. But the second thing is to say, when I was 10 years old, when I was growing up and going to this lake, none of that really mattered to me because to me it was Paz Lake. It was Paz Lake. The whole lake was my grandfather's lake as far as I was concerned. And we spent many hours and days and weeks on that lake with him. And he taught us many different things. He grew up in Miami, near Miami, fishing on Biscayne Bay. He wasn't fishing for fun. He was fishing to feed his family during the Great Depression. When the war came, he quickly signed up. He went to the Pacific where he set foot on islands that he likely had never even heard about, didn't know even existed. And when he came home, he came home and raised four boys and was now being a grandfather to countless grandchildren. And so that was Pa, and this was his lake. And so because of who Pa was and what he had seen and what he had done, Us as children were likely to believe anything he said. Anything he said. And he usually led us on the right path. And so, for instance, he would teach us to water ski. And we'd get in the water and he'd pull the boat around. And we'd grab the rope and it'd get tight. And the last thing he would say to us before he hit the throttle was, Don't try to pull yourself up. Let Let the boat do it for you. Now, for anybody who's been water skiing, these are good words of wisdom. It's a little counterintuitive, though. You want to stand up. You want to get up as fast as you can. You've got water spraying in your face. It's not particularly pleasant until you get up, and so you try to stand up, but it doesn't work. And we listen to Pa. The interesting thing was, I'm not sure Pa knew how to water ski. (laughs) I've never seen him. I'm pretty sure he didn't know how to swim, and so he had his life jacket zipped up pretty tight. But he was our grandfather. And so we listened. Or how about the time he took me fishing? One of the many times, but he gave me, he had this new lure he was going to try, and he gave it to me, and it looked a little bit like a worm, except it was hot pink, and it smelled like bubble gum. And he said, go catch a fish. And I said, there's no way I'm going to catch a fish. At least I thought that, but you know what? It was Pa, and I did it, and I went out, and I caught that fish. I listened to him. No matter how crazy or how ludicrous it seemed, we listened, and it likely worked. 
And I tell you all of that because today on Trinity Sunday, we have this great passage from Matthew that's about us going out and doing, and the fact of the matter is the passage is meaningless without somebody behind it, without Jesus Christ, without God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. If that's not behind this passage, we're not going to listen to it, we're not going to do it, it's going to be meaningless. And so when we look at the Great Commission, the first thing we have to look at is who God is and what he's done. And so imagine the setting. We're at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus has been crucified and now he's been resurrected. And through the women, he's commanded the disciples to go back to Galilee. To go back to where it all began, to where he called them. And they enthusiastically responded They dropped everything they were doing to follow Jesus. And now they're going back, except it's a little different. In in chapter 25, right after Jesus is arrested, the first thing the disciples do is run away. The next thing Peter does after running away is deny Jesus three times. So can you imagine you've received word that Jesus has been resurrected? You'd be pretty happy, and then you receive word that he wants to see you. In Galilee. And so you might be returning a little unsure. And and this comes out here in verse verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him. They knew he was resurrected. They were excited and they worshipped. But they doubted too. They doubted. They weren't doubting that Jesus was raised from the dead. They were pretty sure about that. They were probably doubting themselves. Who are we? We've left Jesus. We've deserted Jesus. What does he have to say to us? What is he going to say to us? It was probably a moment of fear and trembling. But what is amazing in all of this is Jesus's response. I imagine many of us come here even this morning in that same situation. We're coming before the throne of God. We're coming here to worship, but there's a seed of doubt. What can I do? What can I offer? I'm just a lowly sinner. We're there with the disciples. But look at how Jesus responds to them. It's just incredible. In verse 18, he responds to them. Well, what he doesn't do is he doesn't get up there and make them apologize to him. We've all heard this. Don't you have something to say to me? To our children, what do you need to say? I'm sorry. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't shame them. He could have easily said, you left me, you deserted me, how dare you do that? He doesn't, though. He doesn't coddle them. It's okay, guys, it'll be better, you'll do better next time. No, there's none of that. He just tells them who he is. Who he is and what he's called them to do. And so these are important questions. Who is Jesus? Who is this God that is telling us to go out and make disciples of all nations? What are we going to do about it? And when we read this passage closely, we see some amazing things. So the first thing Jesus says to him, and this is very convenient, it's up there on our, uh, our banner back there. The first thing Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What he is referring to is Daniel uh, chapter 7. Daniel has this vision of the Son of Man, and this Son of Man is understood by the Jews at Jesus' time to be the Messiah. And so Jesus is referring to this passage. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven, 
there came like one a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am this guy in Daniel. I am the Messiah. This is my kingdom, and it will not be destroyed. The second thing he says to them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now that is news, folks to these disciples, baptizing in the name, one name, okay, in the one name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, we have God that the disciples knew was one God, just like it says in Deuteronomy, but he's got three names, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Jesus Christ, they could maybe believe he was the Messiah, maybe he believed he was a human, but now he's saying, I am part of that one name, I am God. And that, friends, is pretty amazing. And so finally, the last thing he says to them, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's look for a second at Exodus 3.12. Moses has found the burning bush. God is commissioning him to go out, to go to Egypt, and to save the Israelites. And the first thing, one of the first things God says to Moses is this. God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. Perhaps if we turn to Joshua, Joshua is Moses' successor. As leader of the Israelites, he leads them into the promised land. And so God commissions Joshua, and he says to them, says to Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave or forsake you. That sounds similar. Here's Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here's Jesus taking his spot, speaking the same words that God has spoken to countless leaders throughout the history of Israel. And he's saying, that was me. And now I'm saying it to you. I'm commissioning you, disciples, and I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. And so it's pretty clear from this passage who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's one with God. He's God himself. And when that is true, when we realize this, we can look back to Genesis. And we have this long, astonishing, beautiful creation account, and we think, wow, Jesus must have been there. Somehow he wasn't the man Jesus, but somehow he was there. And so in Genesis, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Wow, well, so we see God, the Father, the Creator. We have this notion of God, the Spirit, the life-giving Spirit, Hovering over the waters, where's, where's the second person? Where's Jesus? John's gospel begins, in the beginning 
was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so then we have verse 3. And God said, let there be light. God spoke his word, and creation happened. So we have God the Father, the creator. God the Son, the agent of creation. God the Holy Spirit, there giving life to what God has created. That's who Jesus is claiming to be. And so then we have to ask the question, we have Jesus, we know who he is, what is he calling us to do? What were the first disciples called to do? They're there, they're with him, they've got this doubt, Jesus tells them who he is, and then he says, go, go, and make disciples of all nations. That's one thing, that's all they're called to do, is go and make disciples of all nations, disciples making other disciples. It's important here to realize, though, that he's talking about discipleship. He's talking about following Jesus. Sometimes we get hung up on conversion, and obviously that's important. Paul says in Romans, he says, All those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that he's been raised from the dead will be saved. That is conversion. But it's also about more than that. It's about following Jesus. He wants you converted, and that saves you, but he wants you to follow him for your whole life. And so in Philippians, Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a process. It doesn't stop. And so when we make disciples, we are teaching people constantly in the ways of God. How are we doing it? Well, we're called to baptize them, and by baptize, bring them to faith. Bring them to faith so they can be baptized. So they can be baptized into Jesus Christ. So they can be baptized into the church. If we baptize our children, we want to bring our children up in the faith so that they can accept their baptism when they're old enough to do so. Baptize. And the best way to do this, the best way to bring people to faith is by sharing your story. I knew my grandfather's story. I knew who he was. I knew he could fish. And so if he hands me a pink lure, I'm just going to believe it. I'd heard his fish tales, and I wanted some of my own, and so I listened. Share your story, and people will listen. People will know God. They will come to faith, and they will believe, and they'll be ready to be baptized. The second thing we see... Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you to do. So we have to teach. We have to teach the Scripture. We have to teach about Jesus. We have to teach, him about, teach everybody about what he's called us to do. And then remember that the first thing and the one thing that Jesus wants us to do more than anything else is repent. It is Repent. He says that over and over and over again because he knows everything else he says, we're going to fall short time and time again because we're sinners. And so when we teach people to obey, we're teaching them to obey Jesus' command to repent first and foremost. We need to teach ourselves. We don't want to forget. We don't want to fall away. We read the scriptures. We gather together as a community of faith so that we can remember who Jesus is and what he wants us to do, which is to spread the gospel. 
So that brings us back to where we started. We're here, here before God. We're here to worship. We're ready to worship. And maybe we have some doubts. Doubts about ourselves, doubts about our faith. Do I have enough faith? Am I good enough? Can I do it? Some of us, those doubts maybe have been quelled and you're ready to go. Maybe you're unsure of how or why, but you know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And to that I say, go for it. Believe. No matter how crazy or how ludicrous or how insane what he's calling you to do might be, go for it. Fathers, it's Father's Day. This is for you. Go for it. Pass your faith down to your children. Teach them about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. It might actually seem a little crazy leading prayer for your children or your wife. That's hard to do. Do it. It might seem a little crazy taking a week off of work to go to Honduras. Do it. God will provide. He's Jesus. He's God the Father. He's God the Holy Spirit. He will provide. Others of you may be here with more doubts than worship. And that is certainly okay. We have all been there. And so maybe you're doubting your identity. Who am I that God would have anything to do with me? Who are you? You are the son and daughter of God. You are created in the image of God. As the psalmist said, we've been made a little lower than the angels. That's who you are. Your identity is rooted in God, and he loves you for it. Maybe your doubts are about your own sin. Surely God can't use a sinner like me. Surely God can't redeem me even. Remember God the Son. God the Son who came down from heaven to earth so that he could die on the cross. When you are in Jesus, your sin is gone. It is gone. It's not there. We still continue to sin, but we repent, and it is gone in the eyes of God. Sin is not a barrier to those who are in Christ. Finally, some of you might doubt your ability. How can God use me? I'm a sinner. Sure, that's been forgiven, but I'm still me. How can God use that? Remember God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit who breathes life into you, who gives you power to do things that you cannot comprehend. Power to heal. Power to spread the gospel. Power to serve him with full out abandon. So let us go forth from here today with our lives transformed. Our lives transformed by the power of God the Father, by the power of God the Son, by the power of God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.